Hey everyone, this is Shirley Brown and this is episode 9 of the Unapologetically You podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the unique voice of every woman and to you living your life without apology. Here you can explore owning and unapologetically bringing your unique voice to your life, your work, your community, and the world. You can listen to all of the episodes by going to www.unapologeticallyliving.com. There you can also sign up to receive an email notification of all future episodes so that you don't miss anything. And also you can find us on iTunes. Be sure to go there and like us on iTunes. And uh, with that, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Unapologetically You podcast with our host, Shirley Brown. Unwavering in her commitment that people live life from what matters most, Shirley brings unique skills from 30 years of transformational conversations and thousands of hours of experience in working with groups and individuals as a coach. She designs programs and offers coaching sessions which skillfully guide people toward the clarification and realization of living life aligned with what truly matters to them. Shirley is a master of transformational conversations. Today's episode is the beginning of our series called Collective Wisdom, United Through Our Life Stories. So here we're going to be speaking with a variety of women with varying ethnic, religious, spiritual, race, socioeconomic, political, and sexual orientation, all of these different sorts of backgrounds. So we'll be talking with women from a lot of different, who come from a lot of different places, and have a lot of different varying points of view. Um, And what we're going to be exploring are the differences, the differences between us as well as our similarities, shining a light on what it is that makes us women. We're also going to be shining a light on the culture that we're living inside of. Uh, It's really interesting to have conversations with such diverse people Because in doing so, we begin to see something about the culture that we live inside of. And not only do we live inside of it, but for the most part, for many of us, that culture goes unexamined. So we don't really realize the influence that the culture has on our points of view, on our decisions, and on our actions. So that will be a really exciting thing that we're going to be exploring throughout this series. Um... In the book called The Wisdom of Crowds by James Sorowicki, there's a case made for how large groups of people are smarter than an elite few, no matter how brilliant that elite few are. The crowd shows to be better at solving problems, fostering innovation, coming to wise decisions, and even predicting the future. And it's the diversity of the group that brings about a wisdom that far surpasses the brilliance of a single, highly intelligent individual. And it's with this spirit that Unapologetically You is committed to providing a platform for the voice of each and every woman. And I hope that you enjoy this first episode of our series on collective wisdom. I'm very excited to have you be able to hear this conversation that was recorded with these four amazing, I'm sorry, five amazing women. And, um, I want to make just a couple of notes. Uh, Prior to starting the recording with them, I shared a little bit about my own, actually it was a sense of trepidation going into this recording. I was very nervous. Um, 
And I, as I, as I looked at it, you know, why was it that I was so nervous having this conversation with them? What I realized was that I was breaking some rules. And the rules that I was breaking were rules that I don't even quite know how they came about to be in my life. But uh, they were rules where if you see someone who's different than you, you see someone who dresses differently, uh, particularly if they wear a head turban or they have a scarf on because they're Muslim, so they might be Sikh, they might be Muslim, or if their uh, skin color is different than yours, there's some unexamined biases that are there in the background. We all have them. And um, as part of the biases that are in my background, one of the rules that were put in place was that you don't talk to them. You don't ask them questions. You don't, uh, you look away. You don't engage with them. You be polite. You don't be rude. But you don't treat them like they're just like you. You treat them differently. Um, there's some kind of fear that's in the background in there, maybe some shame, not quite sure. But as I got into the preparation for starting the recording for these episodes, that uh, fear and concern for breaking the rules became very poignant for me. So I was sharing that with the women, um, with uh, Roya, Naji, and Kim, Elise, and Bhavna at the beginning of the recording. And let them know that I was breaking rules, that I was breaking rules that I grew up inside of, and also asking for their permission to not really know how to say what there was that I wanted to say. Uh, and I, even as I say that right now, it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, but there's some kind of cultural, I'm going to call it like a wall or a cultural barrier between m me and people who are different than me, uh, that I am dedicated to shifting that so that what I experience when I see a person everywhere, uh, any person everywhere, is that they're a human being and being able to see their humanity first and then um, honoring them for their humanity. So you may hear some references to things that I said, and, and I just wanted to put a note in here that those references are to that conversation I had with them prior to starting the recording. So with that, I am going to leave you with this recording and um, this amazing conversation with these five women. And we start off today with allowing, giving them the room to introduce themselves and uh, enjoy. We're all born, we were all born beings, these little beings that came into the world. And before we knew that we were, we were born into a female body, before we knew the culture that we were born into, before we knew the faith that our family held, that we were, you know, would be following that faith, before we knew any of that, we were just this little being. And then as we began to understand those things, we began to adapt. We adapted to uh, what it was, what does it mean to be a, a female? We started to adapt. What does it mean to be in this particular culture? We began to adapt. So we began to adapt ourselves. 
So the conversation is uh, is kind of like looking at, so how was that for you? What was it like for you? How have you adapted in this world to be the woman that you are today with your voice that is here today? And um, also dealing with the world the way that it is today. So it's a conversation about, if you will, it's a conversation about adaptation, the way in which um, you have adapted, the way in which you have kind of like how you became who you are along the way. But before we get there, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, allow you to introduce yourself so that you all know who each other is. Um, and um, yeah, just give you a moment to introduce, introduce yourselves to one another. Elise. So my name is... Maria Alicia, actually, I have a f two first names, <laughs> but uh, I prefer to be called Alice, called Alice. And I'm Alice. from Brazil. I'm sorry, I was calling you Alice. Alice. I was doing the Italian Alice. thing. Alice. Yeah. That, that's fine. If it's Alice, no, it's not a problem. So I'm from Brazil. I've been in the U.S. Uh, for about 10 years. And... I'm a graduate student in anthropology, and I'm also an artist. I have an undergraduate studies in fine arts, and, and I, before living here in Europe too, for about seven years. So I experienced uh, different cultures, and and you were talking about diversity, and I think I had a I think diversity is always a, a point of view, what is different from you. So mm. always is something that you're in relation to. So in my country, I'm equal. Um, I'm not, I don't feel like uh, I'm too different. But when I, when I immigrate, uh, went to other countries, I feel like uh, I experienced a lot of diversity, uh, diversity. From the different people I, uh, I get in contact here, I learned a lot. I learned a lot how uh, Americans behave socially. I learned a lot how Portuguese people behave. So I, I get different uh, perspectives. It's always relation to others. Uh, so mm -hmm. I don't think there is a way for... We, we get a homogeneous... Uh, um, uh, way of interaction because see, everywhere you go you see different people and then when you move to a different culture this is more contrasting so i don't think that uh, even among like a um, middle class uh, white people there are diversity too in ways of behaving so behaving i i don't i don't think there is a way that uh, you can separate yourself and ne never find uh a homogeneous way of behaving. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and I, moving to here, to the USA, I experienced a lot. But I, I, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned that uh, you learned uh, from uh, your culture that uh, when you see uh, different people, you cannot interact. And this mm -hmm. is something that I felt a little bit when I uh, first moved uh, 
to hear that um, uh, I went to the university and I felt like people have uh, uh, trouble uh, interacting with me. And as I saw, people didn't want to make that move to break that barrier because I'm mm -hmm. different, I speak different, I, I'm, uh, I have a, a strong accent. I felt like, oh, I felt like a shy to break that barrier. And for many years, I, I, kept, I kept myself in my place, perhaps uh, interacting more with other foreigners than Americans. And uh, the past uh, the years, like I found like uh, some people were more open to interact with foreigners or uh, than others, and not everyone is the same. Is the same. I felt a little bit too sad, like uh, many Americans when they meet uh, uh, a foreigner, they try not having a, um, a lot of interaction. I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it is the, if this was my own uh, my experience. Uh, other people probably had a different uh, perspective of, uh, of um, this process of adaptation in the culture and American culture. But uh, since you mentioned that, uh, I would say, yes, I felt that too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you felt that and that I was raised that way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it is uh, it 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 makes um, uh, for a foreigner from from my point of view uh, made me uh, to make more efforts to interact with uh, um, like um, overcome my shyness and and try yeah. to interact with people and it depended on what kind of a reaction I would get from the other side because mm. it would it'd be very easy for me to accommodate and never interact with people. Um, since I, I would get this response, like people don't want to get to to have too much uh, uh, interaction, sometimes just superficial interaction, but that made me to come out of my my shell and mm. and, and break the barrier and be more open for whatever mm -hmm. whatever happens. Mm. Mm. So I think in some way it was good. It was good. Mm. Hmm. Um, but the interesting in, in, since I live in Portugal and Port, uh, they speak Portuguese Portuguese is the same language that we speak in, in Brazil I never mm -hmm. had that problem so so I yeah. think it is a cultural thing I definitely yeah. think because I have experience of living in a different country, uh, country so I think it's definitely a, a cultural thing yeah Great. Yeah, Anything else? I, I, I can try. Okay. I can go next. Okay. Bhavna, so, yes. uh, yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Bhavna. Um, I was born and raised in India. Um, soon after I got married, uh, my husband and I moved to South Korea and we lived there for five years. Uh, it was it was hard because they spoke a very different language that I had no knowledge of, and um, but you know I mean again they were uh, a little you know um, the culture we felt was a little close to foreigners and you know and I guess 
It could also be because they did not know how to communicate with us. It could be the language barrier. But, and we soon overcame the language barrier in the sense, you know, when we met people who spoke in English, we were able to connect. And eventually, I mean, we did feel the warmth of people. So, you know, I mean, we, you know, got used to the country and we stayed there for five years and we have great fondness for that country, you know. And so when we left, we were, you know, uh, we knew that we could not live there, you know, for a long term since we uh, weren't fluent in the language. But, you know, uh, but we left with uh, warmth in our hearts because uh, we after a point of time, we felt that people, you know, accepted us to a certain level. And after that, we moved to Canada. We lived in Canada and um, for about four years. And uh, then since 2006, we've been living here. And, you know, and of course, uh, just like Elise said that, you know, when you move to a different country, it takes a little time, you know, to figure out your place where you are and people are diverse, people are different. And I guess, you know, I mean, that's a given, right? We have people who are raised uh, in a different culture uh, who, uh, you know, connect uh, at different levels with people. Um, But I guess, I mean, despite the diversity we're always looking for something in common because we crave for connections. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, because I've lived in different countries and I've also traveled to different countries, I have sought out the commonality, you know, so that I can make connection instead of, uh, you know, one is of course aware of the differences, but, you know, one also looks for uh, things which are common. And I guess, you know, uh, what I have found uh, that if you see the other person just as another human being, it's much easier to connect rather than seeing them as an American or, uh, you know, Korean or uh, European. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and just like Alice, I have experienced, uh, you know, times when I felt out of place and, uh, I felt uncomfortable because I did not know um, how to communicate. And I also had this experience after I came to U.S. However, uh, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable now because I think something changed in me because, and, you know, and I keep comparing my experiences uh, at my workplace, you know, when I started working, I was in my earlier job, I used to feel separate from the rest of the group and I could only connect with a handful of them, you know? So I kept to myself and it wasn't great because I like to, you know, I want to be comfortable and I want to feel like, you know, I also belong there. So... I I struggled a little bit when it came to connecting with people. However, uh, when I changed my job and I came to this different office and uh, I mean, fortunately, I knew some of them already. 
So that made it easier. But I think something also changed in me because since we were starting from scratch, it was a brand new company. We were all coming together to create this workplace. I think I took ownership, you know, and I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this place great and I'm going to bring something positive so that people, and I did not want any newcomer to feel the way I felt in my previous job. So, mm. you know, and I think the, the day that shift happened in me, I started mm. to, you know, connect better with people. Mm. And, um, and Wait, would, you say it's similar to, would you say it's similar to what Alisi was saying about feeling shy and then kind of like overcoming that? And is there a similar, is there a similarity there? I don't know. I don't think it was shyness. I think in my case, I did not have any issues with language, but I felt, uh, you know, I mean, also uh, as an Indian, I think, uh, of course, I do not want to be a spokesperson for the rest of my country, but, you know, from personal experience and from what I know about my culture, we have fewer boundaries. We get into each other's business, you know? Yeah, people, right. <laughs> people can just walk up to you and say that, hey, weren't you getting married? Or, you know, it's about time you had a kid. I mean, even though they don't know you so well. Right. So, you right. know, so that's something we're used to. And um, when you come to the Western <laughs> Hemisphere, people have boundaries, you know? Yeah. You have to take permission from people, you know? And you constantly have to say things like, I'm sorry, I did not mean to offend you or, you know, uh, thank you for asking. I mean, we don't thank each other for asking. We don't even thank each other for the most part, you know. It's just understood that we are two human beings talking and um, I can jolly well say anything that I feel like, you know. So Mm. overcoming or getting used to a different kind of culture where one uh you know communicates differently i mean my daughter uh, was not born here but she i raised her here so when she goes to india she finds a lot of uh indian behavior offensive because she's more mm. westernized you know she says that yeah. how dare they talk to me like that but i said that's cultural you know i mean they're not trying right. to offend you it's just how things are so yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, travel, of course, is one of the most enlightening experience, according to me. If you go and meet people from different cultures, you learn so much uh, yeah. about each other. And, you know, and like what you said in the beginning that, you know, we just want to treat each other as human beings, as equals, yeah. Yeah. you know. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Who else? I could go next. Yes, Raya. Um, so I am British Iranian, and um, I lived in Iran for about twenty something years. Um, I was raised Muslim, although I don't practice. Um, and I grew up in a family where my dad um, was quite racist. Right, racist, racist? You know. Yeah. Racist? Yeah. Your sound is mm-hmm. a little bit funny. I don't know if it's your headset. There's just something like... Can you hear me now? 
Oh, that's much better. Yeah, okay. much, much better. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm just, you know, um, trying to be very honest here. Um, and the mm-hmm. best way to describe my dad would be, you know, he was racist or is continues to be racist. Um, and my mom is very open-minded. She kind of what you were saying, Shirley, she loves to learn about people from different cultures, different backgrounds. She's always looking for similarities between us. Um, but my dad focuses on the differences. Um, so growing up in Iran, I feel like I was very much influenced by my dad's perspective and how he sees the world. Um, and it wasn't until I left Iran and I became, um, maybe the word to use is a victim of people's prejudice that I realized, you know, it was kind of like what you were saying, you know, there was a shift and a difference in you yourself. I think that the moment I left Iran, that shift happened for me. And I realized, oh, wow, I am different. And I am getting treated differently when people learn I'm from Iran or I'm gay or I'm Muslim, by you know, culturally Muslim. People's um, behavior and attitude changed towards me and I became more self-aware of um, who I am and my different layers of identity. Mm. Um, and I think that adaptation has never ended. I, I'm still in the pro- process of adapting um, to being this person who comes from, you know, maybe a different background and is currently living in the U.S. and trying to, you know, figure out where do I fit in uh, and what ways am I similar to other people and what ways am I different and those differences, you know, we could learn from each other and, you know, trying to um, use my experience of living in Europe and living in Iran um, to teach people more about those cultures so people, you know, um, become more aware of, you know, when you say you're from Iran or you're Muslim, we don't all look the same. We look very different. Um, Iranians, we don't look the same. We all look different. Looking at me, you know, no one would think they would be like, oh, that, you know, white American or British girl, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what I've learned is, you know, when you see someone um, catching your your own initial reactions to what you assume about that person. Um, yeah. And that is something that I learned when I left Iran myself. Um, mm. And yeah, and I think that is, um, that adaptation is an ongoing process for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how old are you? If you don't mind. I am, um, no, I'm 29. 29. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I I noticed a a theme in what I'm hearing and it's something I can relate to, which is having being in a space where it feels perfectly comfortable and it feels like my identity is homogenous to the group. Like I am just like everybody else in this space. And for me, that was before I started wearing the headscarf. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly Latino, so there was a lot of different skin colors, but it was assumed everyone was Latino. 
um, because there could be this diversity in appearance in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I'm American born. Um, so there, I felt this, what I'm going to call it is power. Like I want American born. I have like a one-off. I have this status symbol. I have this privilege that some people in my community don't have. And then when I started wearing a headscarf and moved to a predominantly white neighborhood, all of a sudden I was being treated differently. Right. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't overt, you know, criticism um, or name calling. It was more about either the silence that I, I heard some people describe or a distance or maybe an extra super duper friendliness that felt mm-hmm. strange. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when, when, a, when a baby comes into the room, everyone's like, oh my God, it's a baby. Like I felt like, oh my God, it's a Muslim. Let's go see the Muslim. Let's talk to the Muslim. Um, which is great. Like I'm, thank you, you know, to the news media for victimizing us. Cause now I have all these Insta friends, I guess. Um, and I'm being sarcastic when I say that, but there's this, there's this like glamorization of it, I suppose, or this popularity now, especially around progressive communities that like now let's be super duper inclusive and be extra friendly, except it can be strange. It can feel false. Um, I think since I was, you know, in high school, I've had this desire of, I just want to be like everyone else. Can you just treat me like everyone else? Um, and right now I, I don't feel that way because everyone else gets ignored. Everyone else can go to the supermarket and go about their business. I apparently can't do that. I have to stop and answer questions for my entire people or about where I'm from or, you know, politics. And I just want to be like everyone else, whatever that means. And Mm -hmm. I lived in small towns where being like everyone else means you say hello and you say good morning and you ask how people are and you talk to strangers and I've also been in, in busy cities where you don't talk to anyone and you don't make eye contact because it's a big city. We don't do that here. And I feel like wherever I go, I'm willing to adapt to that culture, but I want to be treated as such. And that's not always happening. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago did you begin wearing the headscarf? I'm 30 now. I started wearing it when I was about 16. 16. Hmm. So, wow, that's a pretty... Um, that's like a big time in life, 16 years old, to make that kind of a change, big change. Yeah. Great. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Anything else? Um, I guess your- I'll just say that my identity, I suppose, ethnically or the background I'm, I'm thinking of is I'm American-born and um, I'm partially European and partially Latina. Great. Thank you. Kim? My name is Kimberly Brown, and um, I've worked at a financial service company for the last 30 years, and I have a son who is 21 at Morehouse College. He's a junior, but he's a 6'2 African-American male in this world. I grew up poor, but we didn't know we were poor because we were taught that poor is a state of mind. It was something that was just drilled into us from the very beginning. And I tell everybody, um, no matter where my clothes came from, my mother washed them, dried them, ironed them up. We were powdered puffs, perfumed, and we were presented, you know, outside. We were not even allowed to go outside if we weren't prepared to go outside. Um, And she said, people always see you first. They don't know what you know. They don't know who you are. They see you and they judge you. And that's basically the way we were raised. 
Um, even to the point today, you can see, um, I knew I was getting on this podcast and I had no makeup on, you know, 10 minutes before this show and I'm in there trying to get ready because yeah. that is the way I was really brought up. But it is the way I also have to live because I'm treated differently every day that I walk into a store. Um, flying into the airport today, I stopped in one of the little stores and the little clerk, um, I notice it now so much. She was over by the cash register. There were two other people that were over on the side and they were shopping. And the minute I walked in, she came and she walked behind me throughout the whole store. And I just turned around and said, I don't want anything. I had one hand on a suitcase one hand on a duffel bag and another hand on a purse. I've gained enough weight that my clothes do fit. There is no way I can shove anything anywhere, but I just felt like I'm being watched. But there were other people in the store. And that's just constant. That's my life. Um, that's something that I've had to come to accept. No matter how much money I make, no matter how many degrees I have, no matter what, it's um, being able to afford to send my son to some of the best schools. But when I move into this beautiful neighborhood, I'm walking down the street um, exercising and the other gentleman is walking down the street and he's a Caucasian male. And I hear him saying, no, I don't want that nigger to pick me up in the limo. I want to get that Hispanic guy who used to pick us up. Just don't bring a nigger, another nigger to my house. These are the, you know, the things that I will encounter but they are also the things that I had to teach my son that he will encounter and that he has to understand how to respond. Um, he has been stopped now, I think it's four times by the police. And, you know, we've had some serious encounters. Um, and he, he was raised where that, let me, let me be honest, I ironed his sweatpants. They had a crease. Everything had a crease in them because the same way I had to present myself as the way I taught him to present himself what I liked about him was he pushed back a little bit and he said, I don't want to be perfect mom. And I had to take that into consideration, but I also had to take into consideration. He is a six two African-American male. He will be judged. Yeah. And every time somebody gets in the elevator with him and repels, what they're looking at is if he looks presentable, he will be treated differently than if he doesn't look presentable and, you know, his father's military, so his haircut is, you know what I mean? The, 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 everything has to be perfect in order for him to be presented correctly. He's doing wonderful in school. He has his internship, but you will never know any of that. You just see a 6'2 African-American male. Right. And so I had to teach him. I mean, and I, and I do mean this is how you respond when the police pull you over. This is how you put both hands on the wheel. I had to pull a chair out at home. And when all of that was over and our little role playing was over, I literally cried because I said, this is the first time I really realized I can't protect you. I, I honestly cannot protect you from the same people that I grew up with, which, which was the police, who were our friends in the neighborhood. No matter how much money I make, no matter what neighborhood I live in, no matter what, at this point now, I know I can't protect you. And now at 21 and you're living away at school in a whole nother state, I really can't protect you. To the point he now understands when he drives somewhere, he will send me the little GPS signal so that I can track him. He's comfortable with that. I'm not judging you about where you're going and what you're doing. I just want to keep you safe like any other mother, mm -hmm. any other parent. 
I was just going to ask him, did, was there a, that sense of um, the lack of safety of him being not safe? Was that all the way through his life or did it get worse as he got older? Um, it, you know, early on, I don't think I was aware of it, although I, I was, but I wasn't because I thought because I could afford some different things for him that it was, he was, um, out of harm's way to a certain extent, but he was in, um, on a baseball team, a traveling baseball team when he was nine. And these were some of the things that kind of culminated that began to tell me, you've got to think differently about a male. And um, he went down to Arkansas to play in a baseball tournament. And I let him go down with the coach and the team. And the next day I went down to the game and the coach pulled me to the side and said, when we got here, one of the other coaches from another team came over and told me to keep an eye on him because they don't like blacks here. And I was like, okay. And so my son was playing hide and go seek with some of the other players. And of course he hid really good and we couldn't find him for a minute. And, you know, my heart, I, I panicked because mm. I didn't know what that meant. And I had already been warned that he really wasn't, um, he wasn't welcome. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell him then. I didn't want to tell him, you know, I know you're the only black on the team. He didn't care. He's playing, he's playing baseball. That's what kids do. They want to play. But I now have to tell him, but you're black. I have to tell him you are different. I have mm-hmm. to help him understand he's different. Mm-hmm. Mm. However, when he chose where to go to college, he went to a um, Morehouse College, which is a African-American male school. And the reason he did was because he said, I can just be comfortable now. Mm-hmm. I'm not different here. Yeah. I, I'm just going to fit in for the next four years and I'll get a good education. It's a wonderful school, but... I don't have to worry about that one thing right now. Yeah. And that made a big difference. And, you know, yeah. being in my um, career field, it, it, is, it is dominated by Caucasian males. And mm-hmm. it, it's hard just to be a female in um, financial services, um, let alone to be an African-American female. And one of the things I still laugh about is um, our, our team went out on a leadership exchange at like the Boy Scout, you know, one of those. Um, I don't know, exercises that you go on for team building. And you had to climb up this ladder really high and stand on this board. And all of your colleagues were standing below. And they were like, everybody's supposed to jump and they're supposed to catch you. And I climbed back down the ladder and stood, and they were like, well, what are you doing? And I said, but they don't like me. Why would I jump off the cliff if I already know they don't like me? It'll just be another oops and I won't be here anymore. That's okay. You know, if I already know where I stand why would I jump off yeah. the cliff and, and assume that they're going to catch me? And um, we had to have some conversations, you know, when we got back to the office about it. But I was, let's just be realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand what my place is. I, I yeah. understand um, some of the dynamics. So mm-hmm. those are some of the things that have shaped me. But um, I'll say I have started a little college thing to help kids understand that education is the one fundamental difference that helps you to move forward in this life. And I know I've talked with Shirley extensively about it. And there, there's a need for, in order to be able to move forward 
in this world, I believe education is something that you take along with you and nobody can ever take away from you. But it begins to allow you to open doors that nobody can ever shut. And so, um, you know, I strongly advocate for people to do what they can do for themselves. I don't assume that I'm a victim. I I will never be a victim. I, I am Kim. But I will tell you when my mother died, because she was the voice on my shoulder that helped to keep me grounded, but also to it was a safe haven, a place that I could go when I got tired of being perfect. I got tired of presenting myself a certain way. I, when I go home, I'm just Kim. I was Evelyn's daughter. But when she passed away, I talked I talk a lot about the fear of mm-hmm. knowing I don't have that place to go to anymore, mm-hmm. where that I can take the makeup off. I don't curl my hair when I'm at home. My clothes may not match, although she would like for them to, mm-hmm. but I can just become Evelyn's daughter. You know, my son is her only grandchild, so she completely takes that over. I don't even have to be mom for a while. I just get to like deep breathe and let my hair down. Yeah, and it's a it's a sense of relief in knowing that um, I have the opportunity to do that, and that went away. Yeah, so that that's a little bit of my story. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, there's it's interesting. There's a you can hear a little bit of a. Um, there's a similarity that runs through each of what you've said um, of, you know, like figuring out how to be at home when it doesn't feel like you're at home, right? Mm-hmm. Or when, when you're being related to um, in a way that doesn't, it's like you're being related to in a way that do, is inconsistent with how you know yourself to be. Like, I'm just me. It's just me. And then these people are relating to me in this weird way. It's like, why are they relating to me in this way? Yeah. You know, and then finding your way to be able to um, uh, uh, deal with that and to, you know, live your life, be effective, be successful and move on and continue to deal with that, deal with that way in which people relate to you. You know, all of us have to deal with the cultural dynamics and how they press in on us. And I think it's particularly valuable to be able to hear these distinct women share their experiences. And we will be continuing that. Um, This is the end of our episode for today. We will hear more from these women, from Roya, Najian, Kim, Alisi, and Bhavna in our next episode. And... Um, Until then, you can find all of our episodes at www.unapologeticallyliving.com or through iTunes. Make sure you go to iTunes and like us there. And uh, with that, I'm signing off for today, Unapologetically, Shirley. This podcast is dedicated to you, unapologetically living life with balance, vision, and intentional action. Here you can explore owning your unique voice and unapologetically bringing that voice to your life, your work, your community, and the world.